Section 39 of Narratives of Colored Americans. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Curtis Richardson. Narratives of Colored Americans by Abigail Mott and M.S. Wood. Captain Paul Cuffey. Paul Cuffey, the subject of this narrative, was the youngest son of John Cuffey, a poor African slave, but who, by good conduct, faithfulness, and a persevering industry, in time earned his freedom. He afterward purchased a farm, and having married an Indian woman, brought up a family of ten children respectably, on one of the Elizabeth Islands near New Bedford, Massachusetts. In the year 1773, when Paul was about fourteen years of age, his father died leaving a widow with six daughters, to the care of him and his brothers. Although he had no learning, except what he had received from the hand of friendship, yet by that means he advanced to a considerable degree of knowledge in arithmetic and navigation. Of the latter, he acquired enough to enable him to command his own vessel in its voyages to many ports in the southern states, the West Indies, England, Russia, and to Africa. The beginning of his business in this line was in an open boat, but by prudence and perseverance he was at length enabled to obtain a good-sized schooner, then a brig, and afterward a ship. In the year 1806 he owned a ship, two brigs, and several smaller vessels besides considerable property in houses and lands. Feeling in early life, a desire of benefiting his fellow men, he made use of such opportunities as were in his power for that purpose. Hence, during the severity of winter, when he could not pursue his usual business in his little boat, he employed his time in teaching navigation to his own family and to the young men of the neighborhood. Even on his voyages, when opportunity offered, he instructed those under his care and that useful art. He was so conscientious that he would not enter into any business, however profitable, that might have a tendency to injure his fellow men, and seeing the dreadful effects of drunkenness, he would not deal in ardent spirits on that account. In the place where he lived, there was no school, and as he was anxious that his children should obtain an education, he built a house on his own land, at his own expense, and gave his neighbors the free use of it. Being satisfied in seeing it occupied for so useful and excellent a purpose. In many parts of his history, we may discover that excellent trait of character which rendered him so eminently useful, a steady perseverance in laudable undertakings. It is only by an honest and industrious use of the means in our power that we can hope to become respectable. His mind had long been affected with the degraded and miserable condition of his African brethren, and his heart yearning toward them. His thoughts were turned toward the British settlement at Sierra Leone. In 1811, finding his property sufficient to warrant the undertaking and believing it to be his duty to use a part of what God had given him for the benefit of his unhappy race, 
he embarked in his own brig, manned entirely by persons of color, and sailed to Africa, the land of his forefathers. After he arrived at Sierra Leone, he had many conversations with the governor and principal inhabitants, and proposed to them a number of improvements. Thence he sailed to England, where he met great attention and respect, and being favored with an opportunity of opening his views to the board of managers of the African institution. They cordially united with him in all his plans. This mission to Africa was undertaken at his own expense, and with the purest motives of benevolence. He was very desirous of soon making another voyage, but was prevented by the war which took place between England and the United States. In 1815, however, he made preparations and took on board his brig 38 persons of color, and after a voyage of 35 days, he arrived safe at his destined port. These persons were to instruct the inhabitants of Sierra Leone in farming and the mechanic arts. His stay at this time was about two months, and when he took his leave, particularly of those whom he had brought over, it was like a father leaving his children, and with pious admonition, commending them to the protection of God. He was making arrangements for a third voyage, when he was seized with the complaint which terminated his labors and his life. He was taken ill in the winter, and died in the autumn following, 1817, in the fifty-ninth year of his age. For the benefit of his African brethren, he devoted a portion of his youthful acquisitions of his latter time, and even the thoughts of his dying pillow. As a private man, he was just and upright in all his dealings. He was an affectionate husband, a kind father, a good neighbor, and a faithful friend. He was pious without ostentation, and warmly attached to the principles of the Society of Friends, of which he was a member, and he sometimes expressed a few sentences in their meetings, which gave general satisfaction. Regardless of the honors and pleasures of the world, he followed the example of his divine master, and going from place to place doing good, looking not for a reward from man, but from his heavenly Father. Thus walking in the ways of piety and usefulness, and in the enjoyment of an approving conscience when death appeared, it found him in peace, and ready to depart. Such a calmness and serenity overspread his soul, and showed itself in his countenance, that the heart of even the retrobate might feel the wish, Let me die the death of the righteous, and let my last end be like his. A short time before he expired, feeling sensible that his end was near, he called his family together. It was an affecting and solemn scene. His wife and children, with several other relations, being assembled around him, he reached forth his feeble hand, and after embracing them all and giving them some pious advice, he commended them to the mercy of God and bid them a final farewell. After this, his mind seemed almost entirely occupied with the eternal word. To one of his neighbors who came to visit him, he said, 
not many days hence, and ye shall see the glory of God. I know that my works are gone to judgment before me, but it is all well. It is all well. He lived the life and died the death of a Christian. He is gone whence he never shall return, and where he shall no more contend with raging billows and with howling storms. His voyages are all over. He has made his last haven, and it is that of eternal repose. Thither, could we follow him, we should learn the importance of fulfilling our duty to our Creator, to ourselves, and to our fellow creatures. Such was his reputation for wisdom and integrity that his neighbors consulted him in all their important concerns, and what an honor to the son of a poor African slave, and the most respectable men in Great Britain and America were not ashamed to seek him for counsel and advice. Thus, we see how his persevering industry and economy, the blessing of providence, procured him wealth. His wisdom, sobriety, integrity, and good conduct made him many friends. His zealous labors for the honor of his Maker and for the benefit of his fellow men gave him a peaceful conscience and an unshaken belief in the mercies and condescending love of his Heavenly Father, afforded in his dying moments that calmness, serenity, and peaceful joy, which are a foretaste of immortal bliss. The following is an extract from his address to his brethren at Sierra Leone. Beloved friends and fellow countrymen, I earnestly recommend to you the propriety of assembling yourselves together to worship the Lord your God. God is a spirit, and they that worship him acceptably must worship in spirit and in truth. Come, my African brethren, let us walk in the light of the Lord, in that pure light which bringeth salvation into the world. I recommend sobriety, steadfastness, that so professors may be good examples in all things. I recommend that early care be taken to instruct a youth while their minds are tender, that so they may be preserved from the corruptions of the world, from profanity, intemperance, and bad company. May servants be encouraged to discharge their duty with faithfulness. May they be brought up to industry and may their minds be cultivated for the reception of the good seed which is promised to all who seek it. I want that we should be faithful in all things, that so we may become a people giving satisfaction to those who have borne the burden and heat of the day in liberating us from a state of slavery. I leave you in the hands of him, who is able to preserve you through time and crown you with that blessing which is prepared for all who are faithful to the end. This appears to be the simple expression of his feelings and the language of his heart. When you have read this account of your brother Paul Cuffey, pause and reflect. Do not think because you cannot be as extensively useful as he was, that you cannot do any good. 
There are very few people, if any, in the world who cannot be useful in some way or another. If you have health, you may, by your industry, sobriety, and economy, make yourself and your families comfortable. By your honesty and good conduct, you may set them and your neighbors a good example. If you have aged parents, you may soothe and comfort their declining years. If you have children, you may instruct them in piety and virtue, and in such business as will procure them a comfortable subsistence and prepare them for usefulness in the world. End of section 39